Uh, if you do have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to First Peter chapter 1. We're going to pick up from where we left off last week at verse 13. And, but as you look that up, let me ask you a question. And the question is this, how should you live as a Christian in this world? How should you live as a Christian in this world? How should you conduct yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ in this place, especially whenever it's hard? And in an environment that isn't exactly sympathetic towards your faith, maybe even increasingly hostile, how should you live and conduct yourself? Well, those were the kind of questions that believers were asking and needing answers to 2,000 years ago in what is now modern-day Turkey. And I want to suggest there are questions that are still relevant to us in Belfast in, in 2018. How are we meant to live and conduct ourselves in this city, in this society, today, right now, tomorrow, this week? And how do we do it in a way that honors God and that ensures that we do hang tough or stand firm in a difficult context. Well, if you've got an NIV translation of the Bible in front of you, you'll see that the next paragraph we're going to look at is headed, be holy. And in some ways, that's it. There's the answer. There's all the guidance you need captured in two words. You want to know how to live? You want to know how to conduct yourself? Be holy. And this morning we're going to explore this advice and we're going to expand it further as we listen to exactly what Peter tells the original readers and receivers of his letters, particularly in verses 13 through to 21. But before we read that text, let me remind all of us and fill in for anyone who's new or who is visiting what Peter has kind of said or done so far. In verses 1 and 2, Peter has confirmed who you are and whose you are. Because whenever you are up against it, whenever the walls are closing in, whenever the squeeze is on to compromise and deny your faith, you need to be clear about two things. You need to be crystal clear about your identity and about where you belong. So who are we? Well, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, we are, and we looked at this two weeks ago, we are elect exiles. In other words, we are a chosen people and we are a pilgrim people. We are sojourners. We're on a journey. We're just passing through. This world is not our true home. So who are we? Elect exiles, chosen people, pilgrim people. Whose are we? Where do we belong? We belong to God, Father, Spirit, Son. Chosen, set apart, rescued. And then in verse 3, this is what we looked at last week. In verse 3, Peter says, In light of who you are and whose you are, you should praise God. You should sing your hearts out. And then in the next 10 verses, he gives us even more reasons to do that. And, and we looked at four last week. And here are the four we looked at. And thank you, Paul, for picking these four up in your prayer this morning. But here are the four God, in his great mercy, has given each one of us new birth. You have been born again into the family of God. You are children of God. You are sons and daughters of the Father. This is your identity. This is your true ID. This is who you are. Secondly, 
You have a living hope. Death is not the end. Why is death not the end? Because Jesus rose again, and therefore so will you. And the third thing is you have a glorious, out of this world, guaranteed future inheritance that nobody and nothing can put their hands on. Why? Because it's kept in heaven for your arrival. And then finally, you are shielded by God's power right now. He's going to guard you. He's going to see you through this journey. No matter how tough it is, he's watching over you. He is with you. Now, if all of that is true, and it is, it's truly amazing. The question then is, okay, God, that's who I am. That's whose I am. If these things are true about me, how should I live in response? How should I conduct myself in this world at this moment in time? And this is exactly what Peter addresses and gets to next. So as we always do at Windsor, can we please stand for the public reading of God's word? So this is 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're starting at verse 13. Therefore, One of those words that means this flows, this connects. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners with reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but you've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, who is a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and your hope are in God. Grab a seat. So here's another question. Do you know and do you believe that Jesus is coming again? Do you know and do you actually believe that one day Jesus will return? And then everything will change. New heaven, new earth, new bodies, new reality. I realize that for most or for many people today, for all kinds of reasons, that thought, that idea just does not register. It just seems far-fetched. It's weird. It's the stuff of make-believe. The church has been talking about it like forever since it got underway 2,000 years ago, and there is still no sign, no evidence to suggest that Jesus is ever, ever going to return. This world is all too tangible. It's all too visible. It's all too physical. It's all too permanent. It's all too real. And therefore, any thoughts of an unseen, invisible, eternal world breaking into ours one day and dramatically transforming it and renewing it and with us as part of it. Do you know something? That, to many people, just seems like a naive pipe dream. 
question is, do we believe it? Like, I mean, really believe it. Because for us, despite the queries and the doubts at times, this is our certain hope. The return of Jesus is a promised and guaranteed impending future event. And Peter says here that we need to get our thinking aligned accordingly. We need to get our minds in gear. We need to be switched on to this. We need to be clear-headed about this. Look at verse 13. With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So getting back to our original question, how should we live? How should we conduct ourselves in this world? Here's the answer, with our minds clued in regarding what lies ahead that Jesus is coming again. And we need to maintain a proper mindset that sees the bigger picture, that has an eternal perspective. Elsewhere in Scripture, we are urged as the people of God to do what? To set our minds on things above. It's a similar idea. And for Peter, clear thinking and right mental preparation, if you like, is essential if you're going to stay focused on the hope and the hopeful future that is yours. And whenever you're being ridiculed for your faith, whenever, you're, whenever the heat is on, whenever you're being pressurized to compromise and to just pack it all in, knowing this in your head, that the best is yet to come, this is not all there is. We're only here for a little while in comparison to all eternity. That an inheritance awaits for me that nobody can touch. It's only whenever we know that and we are clear on that in our heads that we can live and conduct ourselves right. It's a game changer. The question is, do we know and believe and have we set our hope? Have we put our minds in gear? Are we clear about this? That Jesus is coming again. Peter urges the believers. He says, you've got to get your thinking aligned to this truth, aligned to this prospect. And you know something? If our thinking has got a bit fuzzy on this, it's got a bit distorted, then please pray to God for a renewing of your mind, bearing in mind, excuse the pun, that how we think profoundly influences how we live. How we think profoundly impacts the way we do life. So, are we, are you, am I, clear in my head that Jesus is coming again? Peter's next advice regarding how to live is, is pretty straightforward, although the implications are huge. He starts in verse 14 by, by addressing them. If you have a copy of God's word in front of me, take a look at this with me. He begins in verse 14 by addressing and by affirming them as obedient children. If you have a Bible, glance up the verse two. You'll see that Peter has already made the point that you belong to God. You were chosen by the Father. You were set apart by the Spirit and you were rescued by Jesus. Why? Why does it say in verse two, we have been rescued by Jesus? It says we've been rescued by Jesus to be obedient to Jesus. That is the reason he rescued you, to live for him, to follow him, to obey him. 
And so here in this verse, Peter begins by affirming that calling. You are obedient children. That's who you are. And then he explicitly tells them here, do not do this, but here's what you absolutely must do. So let's start with the negative. Verse 14, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, do not slip back into an old way of life, a pre-Christian way of life. Don't live as you used to do before you knew God. And this warning still rings true for us because the temptation, let's be honest about this, the temptation to look back, the temptation to compromise and to conform to the pattern of this world is intense. The impulse to drop your guard and just go with the flow. To just think like everybody else, do what everybody else is doing. Let's, it is appealing at times. The desire to revert back or to turn back is strong. Let's not kid ourselves. And maybe especially when, when you're on the receiving end of abuse, when you're on the receiving end of rejection for being a Christian, it is so tempting to just backtrack. Why bother? Why hang in there? This is just too hard. And I think Peter recognizes this. But a strong advice is this. Look, please, don't conform. Don't. Because as obedient children, that is no way to live. It's appealing. It's attractive. It's understandable. But listen, it is no way to live out your true identity. Plus, there is a far better way to live. And so in verse 15, he says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. And so what he says is this, see as obedient children, will you please bear the likeness of your father? As obedient children, just bear the likeness of your father. It's a startling instruction here. I mean, be holy is striking in itself, but to be holy as God is holy. It just takes it to a whole other level. And Peter makes the point here, he says, for it is written. In other words, this isn't a new thing I'm saying. This is not a new call I'm issuing to God's people. And so what does he do? He refers to something that was said way back to the people of Egypt, people in Egypt, he said, where God says in Leviticus, I am the Lord your God, so consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy. This is what Peter was quoting, this part from Leviticus. Be holy because I am holy. And nothing has changed. This is, this is still how we are meant to live. This is still how you're meant to live this week. But what, is it, what does that actually mean? I think, I think most of us know, we have a sense of what it means. Well, for a start, it means that we've got to be set apart for God. We've got to be dedicated to God and for his service. In those verses in Leviticus, God calls the people, you heard me read it, to consecrate themselves to be, which meant you have got to set yourselves apart and therefore live for God and for God alone. You've got to do that. That's a choice we make. 
I choose to set myself apart for God, to consecrate, to dedicate, to surrender myself to him, for him. And please don't miss that little phrase there, in all you do. This injunction to holiness embraces all of life. No sphere, no aspect of your life or mine is to be outside of God's dominion, God's rule, and God's reign. Every area of our lives must be surrendered and dedicated to God. It must be honoring to God. There can be no no-go areas or parts of our lives, whether it's a relationship, an interest, or a hobby, or our careers, or our money, where we say, do you know, God, that area of my life is off limits to you. I live this my way if you don't mind. And I know when I'm being honest with you, there are areas of my life that I know are blind spots where I know I haven't given God complete control and total control, which I haven't set apart for God, which I haven't totally dedicated and surrendered to him. Well, to be holy, to be holy as God is holy, requires total in all I do. In all I do. To be holy also means to be distinctively different. So it not only means to be set apart for, it means to be set apart from. You've got to be set apart from this world and the ways of this world. And therefore, to be holy means that you don't blend in, that you don't compromise, that you don't conform to your evil desires that you once had or that everybody else around you seems to have. To be holy means, listen, I am going to make this choice to separate myself from anything and everything ungodly. That's a huge thing. And sometimes we sing the song, we're not going to sing it this morning, sometimes we sing the song, Purify My Heart. And it includes that line, I choose to be holy, and there is no doubt that we've got to make that choice, because you know something? Holiness doesn't happen by accident. But please don't miss this part as well, this reference to calling. But just as you are called to be holy, and the point here is someone else has written that grace precedes demand. We do not have to grit our teeth and try to live a noble, moral, holy life in our own strength. We can be holy because God has called us into the sphere of the holy. All holiness stems from God, and because we have been chosen by him, we belong to him. That means that we can live holy lives by his grace. We have been called to this, and it is such a high calling. And so let me ask you very directly this morning, and I do want to be direct, and don't worry, remember, I can only see my notes. When I look down, I actually can't see anybody because these glasses didn't work like that, okay? So I'm not looking at anybody, all right? So I just want to ask you really directly, are you holy? Are you holy in all you do? Or is there a part of your life and in an area of your life that if you were really honest with me and we were sitting one-to-one chatting, you'd say, do you know something? There is an area of my life that is tainted by unholiness. It's not set apart for God. It's not set apart from this world. And then we do come to this bit, you know, be holy, which is huge, huge, set apart for, set apart from. 
But this, because God is holy dimension. And what that communicates is this. The character of God should shape your conduct. That's what that means. The character of God should shape your conduct. And we are to bear the Father's likeness. Our behavior is to display his distinctive qualities. This is how we are to live in this world and yet not off this world. So we are to mirror God's love. We are to reflect his faithfulness, his goodness, his truthfulness, his forgiveness, his compassion, his mercy, his grace, his justice. And you know, as I was just thinking about this this morning, it keeps, it, we keep coming back to these sort of things. Am I here this morning? Am I withholding forgiveness from someone? Because this is what it means to reflect the character of God. This is what it means to be holy as God is holy. I must forgive. Do I have a critical spirit? The, these, this is where the kind of, it, 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 it earths itself. And so Peter says, listen. Let me echo something that God has said right back from when he called his people out of Egypt to, to, to journey towards the promised land. You have been called, you're on a journey to your promised land. And the message is still the same. Be holy because your father is holy. And allow his character to shape your conduct. Two final thoughts on how we're meant to live. And there are these. Conduct yourselves with reverent fear and conduct yourself with deep gratitude. In verse 17, Peter reminds us all that God is not just your father and he is, but he is also your impartial judge. Now, now I know some people struggle with this tension. Father? Judge? And yet... And, and I, I, I can't really fully explain that tension. And yet that is who God is. God is both. The Bible is explicit on this. And so verse 17 reminds us that God is going to judge each person's work. He's going to judge our deeds. What we do counts. And one day, God is going to actually weigh up the conduct of every person in this world. And that realization and that reminder and that reality should cause and prompt each of us to live high in reverent fear. Now, that doesn't mean scared out of our wits at the prospect of inevitable judgment, and therefore we only do what we do out of total terror. No. This is about living in awe of God with reverence and respect. Conduct yourselves with reverent fear. Why? Because judgment is coming. And finally, conduct yourselves with deep gratitude. And so what does Peter do here? Peter encourages his readers to look back at the cross to remember the cost that was involved in setting them free because, you know, it wasn't with perishable things like silver and gold that you were set free. Those weren't the kind of things that bought your freedom, that bought your technical word redemption. You were set free. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And in this verse, Peter refers to Jesus as a lamb without blemish and without defect, which alludes 
to the Passover lamb of the 10th plague in Egypt in Exodus, where a lamb without defect was taken and it was killed, and then its blood was sprinkled on the doorposts. And as a result, the inhabitants of that house were saved from the angel of death. They were rescued out of slavery, and they were set free to journey towards the promised land. And here in 1 Peter 1, the apostle makes the vital connections, and he stresses, listen, the precious blood of Jesus has saved you, saved you from death. Because why? You now have got this living hope. Hope, death is not your end. The precious blood of Jesus has rescued you from slavery, slavery to sin and its deathly grip. It no longer holds you captive and you are now set free to journey towards your true home. Remember, you're a pilgrim people, you're a sojourner. And you've been set free to journey towards your true home where an inheritance lies in wait for you. And why or how? All because of Jesus who according to verse 20 was chosen before the foundation of this, this world. So this was no afterthought on God's part. God knew the complete program of redemption beforehand. And therefore, through Jesus, verse 20, you now believe. Through Jesus, you now believe in God who raised and glorified Jesus. And so where is your hope? Your hope is in him. So verse 13 starts with setting your hope on the fact that Jesus is coming back. And where does this section finish? It finishes in saying, listen, your hope is in Jesus. So how should we live, church? What motivates you to keep living for God in a hostile environment? The cross of Jesus cross of Jesus. Keep looking back to it. Keep looking at it with profound gratitude and allow this, what we're about to remember this morning, allow this to shape how you live the rest of today and tomorrow and the rest of this week. And so here's how to conduct yourself in this world as you journey towards your true home. You conduct yourself with clear heads and focused thinking that keeps in mind Jesus is coming again. You conduct yourselves with lives that are set apart for God, that are set apart from this world, and that are shaped by the character of your Father. You conduct yourself with reverent fear as you anticipate coming judgment. And you conduct yourself with deep gratitude as you keep eating, and as you keep drinking in remembrance of him, may we all live and conduct ourselves like that.